I think when we first started this podcast, you had mentioned we're going to do all spy movies, and then you randomly found out that there was a spy Flintstones, and this has been on our list for a long time. <laughs> yeah, when we started doing our doing our homework and just realized just how massive the the spy explosion of of content in the 60s was that really everyone was trying to get in on some of that some of that audience <laughs> movie and i think just the fact that even the flintstones jumped in on that bandwagon was was pretty amazing i'll just go ahead and say right now i i don't i, I it'll it'll be a while it'll be at least a, a year or maybe never that we dip this low um, <laughs> But uh, I don't know. Flintstones kind of maybe kind of fun to talk about. Uh, we have talked about it a lot on this podcast before. The uh, what I call the Cambrian explosion of of the '60s spy genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth mentioning again. Like it starts with James Bond with Doctor No in 1960, and then by this time, by 1966, there are oh my god, so many spy television series. Um, Let's see what what do we got? Um, the uh, what's what's the one with um, the Mel Brooks one? The show? Oh, Get Smart. Yeah, Get Smart. The Man from Uncle. Uh, I Spy is out there. Uh, the um, The Avengers, which didn't really start out as a spy television series, has kind of morphed into one, mm-hmm. and and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, this is a 1966 film, The Man Called Flintstone. Uh, it was made and released immediately after the end of the TV series, which ran from 1960 to 1966. The featured agencies are obviously completely fabricated and uh, uh, mostly unnamed. Uh-huh. Although The Flintstones is a fantastical reimagining of 1960s American middle class life. So it would be assumed that our side is some kind of analog of the CIA. Oh, um, like, well, especially since Tanya's Russian. But the Green Goose was just kind of a guy with a lisp. Did he that have a lisp? Weird. I didn't catch the lisp. Yeah, he had like a snake talk. And then, uh, yeah. Uh, but Tanya is definitely supposed to be Russian. So She's got a exactly, Russian accent. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure who... I don't... I think like the Green Goose is supposed to be like a like a James Bond private organization that's trying to destroy the world because totally. I think he represents a country. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, he is. Uh, let's see. So his organization, it's only mentioned once. It's just a very minor gag. Is called Smirk. That sounds kind of familiar to um, uh, Man from Uncle, right? I forgot the name of their group. <laughs> no, they had a really. Or wait, Man from Uncle, Uncle. Um... Oh, it was Uncle. Never mind. It was Uncle. <laughs> right, but they had yeah. a zany, they had a zany um, acronym kind of thing for for their secret organization. Uh, Arman Flint had a really funny one, which I don't remember right now. This would mostly be probably a direct reference to Smirsh, S M E R S H, which is the the uh, Russian. Uh, counterintelligence agency that James Bond goes up against in the novels. Oh, not necessarily. Oh, so it wasn't Spectre in the novels. 
Okay. Exact. Exactly. The the movie producers didn't want the movies to be the James Bond movies to be political, mm, so I see. they said, "Can you can you come up with a fictional uh, agency for James Bond to go up against?" And then that went over so well that Spectre eventually made their way into the books. Uh, okay. Well, that's kind of cool. I always like when that happens when something adapted goes canon. You know, kind of like a Harley Quinn. And then it makes its way into canon because it's so popular. It's just me, B-Man. No Joker, no gas bombs, no city in peril. Just you, that tank, and me. Why? But yeah, one of our civilians, as you say, speaks with a Russian accent. And there's an allied agent that speaks and appears as a British agent. So, you know, good guys are Americans. Bad spies are Russians. Allied spies mm-hmm. are British. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just something that is like so soaked into the zeitgeist of spy caricatures. Um all the way to today, I'll bet I'll bet there are kids there are kids out there that can watch a cartoon and as soon as they hear a Russian accent, they know that's a bad guy and they have no right. idea why. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't know why that's that's so in in their head. Right. We've got a couple enemy agents that seem like maybe slightly coded as Muslim. Due to the fezes, but I don't think it's over the top. What was really weird in the closed caption, he he, he kind of mutters in like another language sometimes, but the closed caption said speaks indistinctly Japanese. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird because they're both kind of dressed like from the Middle East or like at least Arabia. Like, you know, you, you watch those old films. Oh, his, and name like, is, his name is Ali. Yeah, and his name is Ali, but somehow he's speaking indistinct Japanese. So I don't know if that was an error on the closed captions or not, but yeah, you're right. They, they kind of have like a more Muslim feel to them or a uh, Middle East Arabian assassin squad or something. Everyone wants to be a spy now. Every movie company, every television company wants to have a spy property. As far as the first spy comedy, I think I personally give the crown to the get smart TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was created in part by Mel Brooks. Uh, did you know that uh, Mel Brooks is an EGOT? I don't know what an EGOT is. That's someone that's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Oh wow! I'm not surprised. You haven't you uh, haven't heard of this? No, no. But I'm there's not only surprised. like yeah. there's only like twelve of them. Right, right. It's, <laughs> it's really rarefied air. But it's the get smart that is what got him the Emmy. All all three of the other awards came from different versions of the producers. Uh, oh, okay. Um, because, yeah, it was a Broadway show, and then it was a movie, and then the soundtrack was, like, really popular and got a Grammy. But, yeah, so Get Smart, I think, is the first spy comedy. But that is just – and and I, w- I was mistaken. Uh, Dr. No doesn't come out until 1962. Mm-hmm. So by 65 – we're already doing comedies. And by 66, this is just like three, four years into the genre. We're already getting like a, like a kind of a massive popular, let's say mainstream animated show, like the Flintstones uh, jumping in on that action. This is also the same year as our man Flint, which I would call the first direct parody of bond. Um. Our Man Flint came out in January of this year, and The Man Called Flintstone, see what they did there, uh, comes up in August, 
with a movie poster that is a direct ripoff of the Arman Flint movie poster. They were really yeah. making a strong direct uh, connection here. And then, um, you know, so this is right around when like spy comedy started coming out. There's another one that comes out, which uh, will be interesting to cover someday. This is also the year of what's up tiger Lily. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know anything about that one? Yeah. The Woody Allen film. I saw that when I was younger. I don't really, oh, really? Do, you, do you remember it enough to, to say like what kind of movie it is? It's a, it's a really specific kind of weirdness. Not really. I, I was, I think my mom was watching it and I probably wasn't paying attention. I was pretty young. <laughs> okay. Well, what it is, is it's a, um, there's a, okay. Again, you know, not to, I'm totally beating this dead horse, but everyone's doing spy stuff, even internationally. So, um, the Japanese have this, uh, spy series, which, uh, it's actually kind of known by a lot of names, but the, the movie that I'm talking about is called key of keys. Mm -hmm. And, um, the Japanese name I put in the notes. I don't know if you're looking at those. I was wondering if you could uh, try to pronounce that. That's the. Yeah. Kagi no Kagi is key of, well, keys, keys is, but I guess, it, I guess you could translate it as key of keys, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that movie is like a, a, it's, it's Woody Allen taking a Japanese spy movie and remixing it, changing the order and changing the dubbing to, to make mm-hmm. it into a comedy. Is Key of Keys or Tiger? What's up, Tiger Lily? What's up, Tiger Lily is a remix of Key of Keys. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And and that's a Japanese spy film? That's correct. And it was, oh. I think, I don't know if it was the first, it's, it's also, it's a series, you know? It's uh, in the in the same vein as James Bond. Like they're making one after the other. They're putting out like one every year for like eight or ten years or some shit like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, okay. to, I'll be happy to check that out. So that's the that's kind of the uh, historical context of when this movie comes out. Um, Flintstones, of course, famous for being the first primetime animated show mm-hmm. of all time. It was based on the Honeymooners, uh, somewhat. So, well, directly enough, like the Fred character is definitely enough uh, close to the. Jackie Gleason character, Ralph Cramden, mm-hmm. that uh, Jackie uh, was, he was considered, he was considering a lawsuit, uh, which his lawyers assured him he would totally win. But a friend warned him off of it saying, you don't want to be the guy that like took down America's favorite, like family comedy. Mm-hmm. Um I would say that the uh, influence of the Flintstones on the Simpsons and family guy uh, is very profound. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think Seth MacFarlane wanted to do a new Flintstones. I can um, ab- Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Yeah. And, but I think they denied it because um, of all of his other stuff that's gone on, I guess. I guess the, I don't know. Maybe they felt he wouldn't take care of it, but. He he I, he grew up a huge Flintstones fan. Yeah, I think I think that's clear uh, from a lot of his work. I want that. I would I would watch that. Yeah, I would definitely uh, check that out. Um, so even though like I'm the older of the two of us, but even for me, Flintstones was definitely like 
like even as a kid, I could tell this was like older stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not even I'm not even alive uh, when this show was running. I didn't I remember I didn't like it as a kid. Uh, even, you know, when I was in that phase, you remember that phase when you would just watch anything cartoon? Yeah. I don't know how it was for you, but there was a like there was a time when like cartoons would run in the afternoon and then sometime around three o'clock, like they would stop. And you were just so bummed out. <laughs> as a yeah, kid. right. <laughs> <laughs> now, Saturday morning cartoons all day eating cereal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now you can just, uh, now you can just get anything you want anytime. Right. Kind of, kind of crazy. Um, so, and in general, like I really did not like Hanna Barbera cartoons i even as a kid i really kind of thought they were sort of trash oh really you know like i mean like i i liked the flintstones when i was a kid and i I, like i feel you i could tell it was an older production um but you didn't like yoki or like huckleberry hound or anything or the great american race or whatever it's called the wacky races kind of thing i thought that was okay right that was something that was something my sister and I could agree on because um, I don't know. I don't know what your uh, relationship with cartoons and your sibling were, but, uh, you know, you've got a sister as well. And so definitely on Saturday morning, it was constant negotiation of what we're going to watch next. You know, one for you. One right. for me. Right. <laughs> one <Yeah>. for you. <laughs> and uh Wacky races, at least, was something we could both kind of agree on. Right, right. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't think we fought too much about what to watch. Um, and then there was a time where the second TV came, and it was like, oh. But um, uh, yeah, the wacky races. Then I, I like Droopy. Um, I always thought he was funny. That's not Hanna Barbera, though. What really? I think they picked him up at some point, but the original Droopy cartoons are are kind of like a auteur kind of kind of thing. I think. Oh really? I might. I think that's Tex Avery, actually. Oh, it is Tex Avery. Yeah, by MGM. So, but that must be original because I remember hearing Roger Rabbit. Uh, Droopy is the only Hanna Barbera cartoon because they didn't want to be a part of the Disney uh, Warner Brothers mix. Well, that changes that. <laughs> so it did. It did make me think and go through and man, like, I mean, the amount of shows that Hanna Barbera pumped out is like truly, truly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, are there any cartoons I did like? You mentioned uh, Wacky Races. I just had that listed as something that at least my sister and I could agree on. Right. Um, also in that ca- category is the Smurfs, which I did not realize was Hanna Barbera. Oh uh, yeah! To me, the Snorks were great. I, th- I thought it was a great show. Yeah. Wait, that means the Snorks would be Hanna Barbera too, right? That's yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I didn't have HBO when I was a kid, so I just saw the Snorks at somebody else's house like once, and I was like, "Oh my god, I want this!" <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was some sci-fi stuff. That, that I could get into uh, the Herculoids. Did you ever see that one? No, I only kind of vaguely remember. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird show with like some, I don't know, uh, a family that like runs around with some weird aliens. 
Um, the concept of Space Ghost was cool to me, but the show sucked. And the not cons- the not the talk show. You're talking about like the original Space Ghost. Right? The original the original Space Ghost is pretty garbage. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Coast to Coast though. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I vaguely remember this show, The Herculoids. I, I like vaguely remember this. Damn, it was it was definitely was. weird enough to keep to keep my interest, right? Um, <laughs> and then Thundar the Barbarian, I would watch just because I wanted it to be good so bad. Like the intro with the cracked moon in the background, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a it was like a post apocalypse space barbarian concept or something. But again, the uh, show sucked. The show itself was just no. <laughs> it's just terrible. Yeah. Um but then of course there's like I don't know the the second coming of Hanna-Barbera with the Cartoon Network. They did a bunch oh, of yeah. good stuff there. Oh, were they behind the Cartoon Network? Um I think they were yeah, they were the Okay, so especially back then like what you did is you launched a cable network basically by starting out just recycling a bunch of trash that nobody else wanted, mm-hmm. you know, like, so sci- sci-fi network just started by just pumping out. Like you could just see a bunch of old science fiction movies. And um, I think there was like a, a horror network where they would just start out by just showing a bunch of old horror movies. And in this case, oh. they started out just by throwing out a bunch of, old cartoons. And then as soon as you start making a little bit of money, you can start investing in original stuff mm-hmm. and then, or comedy central, right? Comedy central definitely started out with very little original content. Yeah. It was all just um, random standups, a couple of old shows and movies. Right. But, um, Hanna-Barbera definitely the force behind, uh, cartoon, cartoon networks, um, lineup of original stuff i ride hard for dexter's laboratory yeah dexter's lab and um powerpuff girls Uh uh-huh i think the creator of dexter's lab is married to laura faust who's the creator of powerpuff girls also my little pony um so that couple is like a power animation couple (laughs) right yeah like they they've worked on each other's stuff and i think they were like some of the original creators and animators for cartoon network so i mean i didn't realize all those shows were hanna-barbera i remember hanna-barbera i remember cartoon network playing old hanna-barbera cartoons but i didn't realize the cartoon cartoon originals that pretty much like put cartoon network on the map were were hanna-barbera productions Mm -hmm, definitely so and then, of course, there's all the revisionist stuff, the, uh, you know, the stuff where they like remixed basically like Space Ghost Coast to Coast, uh, Birdman as a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, kind of yeah, thing. Harvey Birdman, attorney of law. Yeah. Uh, all that adult <laughs> swim stuff. All that yeah, adult swim stuff was perfect. Yeah, that stuff is is crazy good. Um, and then you start getting other. Uh, you know, they start having these successes and other people start seeing that they uh, could, could get some real creative freedom mm-hmm. uh, by bringing their, their weird cartoon shows to uh, especially adult swim. And then, yeah. and then you start getting stuff like uh, aqua, aqua teen hunger force. Yeah. Right. And robot chicken and uh, yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's my relationship with the Flintstones and the Hanna-Barbera thing. Quick question. Did you ever see the movie with, uh, John and, um, the little guy, John Goodman, the, the Flintstones movie. Oh, and Rick Moranis. Yes, I did. Two of them. And, uh, Rosie O'Donnell was, was Betty. Any good? Uh, not really. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know what is good is uh, uh, working on this, working on the notes for this project, and I think we're uh, we're we're about getting ready for the briefing room. But uh, the Flintstones comic books from from DC Comics, I think they came out around like 2010, and I had heard really good things, but I guess I didn't, I not enough to make me a believer mm-hmm. or or to run out and check them out, but. Uh, reading about the Flintstones here kind of reminded me like, Oh yeah, there was that comic book. And I know I've showed you a few panels and talked to you a little about it. Uh, it is really, really funny, really intelligent stuff. Um, it's, uh, just a 12 issue limited series. I'm on six right now and I'm reading them. Like, you know, that what's, is there a name? Probably some language has a name for this feeling when, you're you're reading something very slowly because you know that there's a limited quantity of it. <laughs> oh, you're trying to like savor every moment. Yeah, yeah. I really am. It's it's kind of like the Simpsons level of humor, but kind of more infused with a uh, existential dread, mm. uh, which is is just fantastic. And I can't recommend the comics highly enough. Um. That's that's everything I got. It's it's just amazing like how far animations come. But doing this show, I think you had randomly found this and you were talking about like, oh yeah, because of the spy explosion during the sixties, they even made a Flintstone show. And I remember like back in the day, all of the animated specials, like for holidays, you know, or or like those like one off kind of side special cartoons, and this kind of felt like that. That it was like Hey, there's something going on. Let's put out a spy film for Flintstone. So this kind of reminded me of that. And you know what else was was weird was the 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 Christmas Flintstones episode. Like, what the hell are they celebrating? Because even back then, that would have been pre-pagan. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so you can't really claim like, okay, this is this is the Yule tree or 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 they're you know. Um, celebrating like keeping away Krumpus or something. This has been way before that. So, but uh, that's what this movie kind of reminded me of. Like anytime there's a holiday, you get those like, like cartoon specials for the kids. And, and this felt like, Oh, there's a spy explosion. We should make a spy Flintstones movie. And this is, this is kind of how it felt, but it also kind of felt rushed that they just kind of had to put it out really fast. Um, But I think this movie or the Christmas movie. This movie. Okay. Yeah. I, I think they rushed because, I, I mean, like, we'll, we'll talk about the movie a little bit more, but it just felt super rushed that they were like, we have to get this out. So they just put up whatever they could get as soon as possible just so they could get this movie out is kind of how I felt because it was pretty bad. <laughs> it's not good. It's yeah. not good. <laughs> might be the worst movie that we reviewed, and it might have 
some of the least amount of actual tradecraft. Yeah. Let's tear into that. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. Uh, it's really common in in a lot of spy movies, especially like uh, satellite, like kind of non-serious spy movies or spy parodies where uh, it's not like we don't get stories about um, like the like it's not like our side is doing an operation and that's what the story is about. That's something I, I generally think is reserved for some of the better spy movies that we talk about. Mm-hmm. It's typical that it's just like reactionary on our part. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bad guy doing some bad stuff and we got to send James Bond in to say what's up mm-hmm. or find out, find out what's up and put an end to an evil plot. Mm-hmm. So, um, for sure, in that case, like I want to start, even though we don't meet the Green Goose, who's the villain of the story, until like kind of near, well, at least halfway through, maybe like two thirds of the way through. I think to understand the tradecraft or the the spy plot of this movie, you got to start with him because he's the um, he's the activator, right. right? And then the heroes are just reacting to him uh, again, like he. Uh, they make the joke. He runs the smirk organization. Mm-hmm. Um, smirk doesn't actually make any appearance in the film, except that reference. Uh, he's just got a couple of heavies. That's the Ali and Bobo characters and the Tanya character that we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and he's also got a saber tooth tiger, mm-hmm. which he is uh, stroking. <laughs> like a, a bond villain would. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> totally a nod to Blofeld's uh, white white Persian. Um, he's got a rocket and I don't think they ever explained what it does. No, it just seemed to be a doomsday device. According to the chief, um, you know, Pebbles future is on the line. So I'm guessing this is kind of like a doomsday rocket, but I mean, they don't really tell you anything. Right. I think, I mean, he has a line where he says like, you know, that something about the whole world will know my power and I will reign supreme. Ha 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 ha. Um, but nowhere do they feel like it's necessary to tell us like how this is going to advance his cause Mm -hmm. in, in any way. I mean, is he just going to nuke the world and then say I win? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what that was. Um, yeah. I, I They didn't really go through the plan very well. And if it is a doomsday rocket, I don't know how the the world is just going to be like, yeah, we'll do, you know, you're going to brain because you blew up a place. You know, if it's really that big of a deal where it's going to wipe like all of human population, how is he going to rule? It, yeah, whatever. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Well, the only thing that could ruin his plan, whatever it is, is if the government has finished work on their anti-rocket technology, mm-hmm. which they haven't, but he knows they're working on it. So his win condition, I, yeah. I really wanted that to be misinformation. I mean, I know we'll talk a little bit about later, but I really, really wanted that to be misinformation. Uh, and it turned out not to be. And I think I think you and I are going to have a lot to talk about as far as how this movie could have gone better. But 
the fact that he like screams it out loud that he has this message about anti-missile technology that it's not going to work like tells me and I, I think i made this my number two worst trade craft i wanted that to be disinformation when it happened i was like oh maybe at the end he'll shoot the rocket and it'll turn out the government was lying and they just planted this different disinformation knowing they were being watched but that wasn't the case uh, but so it made my number two worst trade craft because you don't go running around screaming, you know, country like secrets like that. Like, hey, we don't have the anti-missile technology in case anybody's listening. I'm just going to say this as loud as possible. <laughs> so, yeah, number two worst trade craft at the beginning of the film. We're going to see the heavies. So I'm trying to keep his objective in mind. Right. Like, all he needs to know is find out if this anti-missile thing is is finished or not. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the film is going to show his two heavies, Ollie and Bobo, chasing Agent Rock Slag, who looks exactly like Fred Flintstone. In fact, we don't find out that it's not Fred Flintstone until uh, at the end of the chase when he, we hear him talking. And at first, I, I still thought it was Fred. And I was like, yeah. this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is weird. Um, yeah. Why does he sound like that? Right. Um, it's only later after that scene when we get to meet the real Fred, who's speaking in Fred's real voice, that yeah. I realized like like what had happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the heavies are chasing Slag apparently with the goal of eliminating him, and that seems to be their objective throughout the film. Uh, but when the goose gets his hands on who the Fred who he thinks mm-hmm. is Rock Slag. He doesn't try to kill him. He tries to get the information he needs from him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that will come up later as being like something of a uh, uh, cross purpose. You know, like when we analyze tradecraft on the show, we're always trying to see, do, do the, do the operations that you execute actually match your true objective? Cause in shitty spy movies, sometimes they don't, there's a total yeah. mismatch. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about that. That Why is Ali and Bobo trying to assassinate Slag if Green Goose is trying to get information out of him? An interesting thing about the Green Goose is that he is going to be revealed to be a master of disguise to a cartoonishly ludicrous degree. Uh, it's almost more like he's like a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. He even turns into a bird and f- flies away at one point. Seems like, <laughs> yeah, I think he started out as a dog, and then another time he was like a very heavy set waiter. Well, this ability has allowed him to uh, infiltrate the government agency in the person of Agent Triple X, who we meet about halfway through the movie. Right. By the way, I love that when I when, when it was the big reveal was that Triple X was the Green Goose. I was like almost face palmed because the fact that his name was Triple X at the beginning is like kind of like a clue, like he's a triple agent, you know, <clears throat> and and this is probably the Green Goose. And I was like, oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> but yeah, he has like a godlike ability to change costumes um, and infiltrating the government uh, is a huge deal, but I think you and I both marked this as our number one worst tradecraft. But I also marked this as my best. So, do you want to you want to chat about why it's the worst? The reason it's the worst is because uh, you know he's he's got the he seems to have the total trust of Chief Boulder, 
that's the head head of intelligence. Um, the chief even calls him Trip, so he's got a nickname. Like they've got a bond, you know. They're buddies, they're, they're, right? They're, they're yeah. homies. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it really feels like he must have been in place for years, and surely there's tons of ways he could have just used his uh, alternate identity of Triple X to to go after the information that he needs. So that's right. my that's why it's my minus spy points and my worst number one tradecraft. I, that's precisely why I made it my number one worst tradecraft. Exactly. Like uh, I, I I wanted to point out that it's my best number one. Because being the villain infiltrating like world level intelligence agencies is a huge thing, but he did exactly zero with it, right? They, at no point in the film did his position as Triple X, working with uh, Chief and Rock Slag and like literally everyone in the world ever be used to gain information. In fact, he didn't even need to try and kidnap Rock Slag. He just could have hung out around Chief as Triple X. You know, or turned into a plant while Chief was reading. The <laughs> you know, it's it, 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 he's this like godlike ability to change like um, ego or uh, identities, and has influence like like basically br- like built a relationship with the chief of intelligence of whatever organization they're working for, and and never did anything with it. So. That's why I made my number one best tradecraft and also made my number one worst tradecraft. <laughs> yeah, even with my low expectations of the film, I found myself very disappointed that this particular element wasn't explored or leveraged in any way whatsoever. <laughs> right. Uh, which I just I just call missed opportunity points. Yeah. Um in fact, like uh you know, he, he even, like, reveals himself, you know, to, uh, you know, runs into Fred as Triple X later in the film. And just on the flimsiest of evidence that Fred might suspect that he's actually the Green Goose, he's just like, aha, I really am. Haha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, he just finds a mask that looks like the Green Goose's mask and Triple X is there. So it was, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I didn't understand. That was annoying. We, we're having fun with it. We're taking yeah. a stupid excuse for a spy movie, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. and, and putting it on our regular table and running our regular tests on it. And that's hopefully uh, enjoyable to the audience. Again, I promise we won't, we won't subject you guys to crap like this. Uh, very often, at least not until uh, next Christmas, at the very least. <laughs> if, yeah. if we can find something worse than this, though, I think it's our responsibility as to spy movie yeah. journalists to, to, to talk about it. Uh, so now over on to uh, Team Good Guy. Right. Uh, now, Rock Slag is, uh, you know, the agent that looks like Fred. And presumably he's been on the case to find the Green Goose. Uh, That's not made clear to us, but presumably, and then also that's presumably why the heavies working for Green Goose are trying to eliminate him. Meanwhile, the chief Boulder has made contact with Tanya, who says that she will ID the Green Goose to... Well, I guess I guess it does become clear. Like she'll only talk to Rockslag, mm-hmm. 
and I'm I I guess they did I guess they did actually button that up like that's because supposedly like Rock Slag has got this uh ultra sexiness that women just can't resist. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. I mean, I'm cuz this is a parody of like the spy films like kind of a bond thing. The women like just chasing him and attacking him and kissing him made it, it, it kind of I was happy that they made fun of like just how creepy like Bond is. Um, but it did get kind of a little overdone, um, especially very, with the, the Italian goofy. lady and the brother. Yeah, the Italian brother and the 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 brother of the Italian woman is like sent as a heavy to try and like force Fred into marrying her, and and she calls him Frederico. And I was like, okay, this is a little over the top, but yeah. Well, what happened there exactly? Is is are we meant to think that Rock had had a romantic relationship with the Italian lady? Yeah, I think he had romantic relationships with all those women. And and just no matter where he went, they all recognized them and were like, I knew you were in town. And like there there was like about four or five of them that he thought might have been Tanya, the contact. But it, they turned out to just be women that are in love with Rock Slag. So I think he's just had random relationships with all these women, which, yeah, it, 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 it just adds more to the ridiculousness of of bond and how like creepy he is you know what i mean right 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 so tanya is gonna um tanya is actually working for the green goose she's got no intention of selling out her boss she's playing a game here yeah and that made my number two best tradecraft was the green goose using tanya to lure fred or quote-unquote rock slag um when 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 I find when the chief announces to Fred, "This is your mission. You're going to meet this lady Tanya, who who obviously looks like a villain, and she's going to help you get the Green Goose." I was like, "Please tell me that this is the Green Goose's plan to lure Fred in," and and it turned out to be. So that made me happy. Uh, so that made my number two best tradecraft. Right, but then uh, I counter with uh, my worst number two tradecraft is. The fact that, you know, I mean, as the audience, we're not supposed to know this until later. But in fact, the goons that are trying to kill Slag are working for the same guy who sent Tanya to try to meet Slag and lure him into a trap. So they're totally working at cross purposes. Minus spy points. My number two worst. Yeah, that that was pretty bad. And I remember... uh, Yeah, I remember you talking about that. And it was like, yeah, that doesn't work. If you're going to try and kill him, but the Green Goose wants information, what is it that you're doing? I mean, Ali and Bobo did kind of come off as, like, incompetent assassins. Yeah. It was supposed to be, like, veteran assassins. But, uh, yeah, no, it seemed like they were pretty incompetent. So I'm not sure that that was an actual order from Green Goose. But, yeah, you're right. They weren't working together as villains to be villain, villain people. So in a in a movie where the Flintstones weren't involved, that's how it would have gone down. Tanya would have lured Slag into a trap. I guess the Green Goose would have tried to get the information from Slag, which Slag didn't even have, by the way. Right. Um, also, like, back up to, uh, you know, when we were talking about, like, uh, the Green Goose not using his triple X identity to just get the information from the chief. Well, it is true. The chief didn't actually have the information that the Green Goose needed until pretty late Later. in this film. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. And also, even though he seems to be able to, you know, uh, just 
uh, disguise himself as anyone or anybody. There's never a point where he was like uh, shown to have the ability to mimic uh, a precise person, mm-hmm. you know? So it wouldn't have been just as easy as him showing up looking like rock slag and asking the chief like, so, Hey, what's up with that anti-missile missile? Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> what happens here because they want to set this movie up and basically, uh, you know, do a, whatchamacallit, uh, mistaken identity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Slag was injured in the opening scene and in the first kind of sequence where we get to uh, introduce Fred Flintstone into the story, he also gets injured. And they both end up at the same hospital because, of course, there's only one hospital in Bedrock. <laughs> right. And dum dum dum, they look they they look exactly like each other. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so the the Fred's only got like a bump on the head. He's he's gonna be fine. Uh, Slag is in traction, <laughs> or actually, <laughs> Slag was gonna recover too, and then Ollie and Bobo pushed him out another window. Yeah, and now like uh, he's even worse. So the chief. Come, you know, because uh, I guess, uh, you know, we'll take it as granted what he says, like, you know, lives are on the line and this might be <laughs> our only chance to get the green goose. There's the idea of sending a lookalike in Slag's place, which is on its face, like just profoundly stupid. But I kind of when I was thinking about when I was refining my notes, you know, the idea of sending a lookalike is not entirely unheard of. Right. Right? Uh, I think a lot of leaders to protect themselves have a lot of lookalikes. In, in sure. fact, I, I think I've heard like a theory that oftentimes when presidents go golfing, they're actually doing something else and they just have like a lookalike golfing for them to kind of just throw off. Like, But I, I'm not sure if I believe that, but I know for sure – a lot of presidents have had lookalikes as well as like dictators. Like I think Saddam Hussein had like eight lookalikes or something. So yeah, I, it's not, it's not completely unbelievable, but I don't know if you just want to pick some guy off the street that you met at a hospital to be your lookalike now. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, um, it could work, especially if, if Tanya's never actually met Roxlag. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So, well, yeah, the chief did say that she's been dying to meet him. Right. So that's yeah. why I, I, I'm not going to give it plus five points, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to refrain from dinging it. Uh, I do want to give some really good plus five points to this, though. Uh, when the chief recruits Fred, um, we, you know, we, we love talking about the recruitment process when we uh, do our spy films, just yes, here at do. Spies Like Us. And, um, the, the leverage that Chief uses, he first starts with duty to country. You know, you're going to save the world. It's your duty to your country. And, you know, buttering him up like you're going to be very important. This is really important and we need you. Plus, you're going to get an all-expenses-paid trip to France. You know, it'll make your wife happy. You know, you just can't tell her anything. Even though, by the way, I, I'm, so I'm making this my number three best tradecraft is the recruitment. But I'm also pointing this out as my number three worst tradecraft because he, he makes a big deal to Fred. Like, you can't talk to anybody about anything that you're doing, not even your wife. 
then he just screams like he was just talking to Rock Slag like loud as shit. So Ali and Bobo knew, oh, Rock Slag is here. And now he's like talking super loud to Fred and stuff. And then like later I told you when he gets the message, he's just announcing like very, very critical intelligence like to the world. So I, I've I've marked this kind of recruitment process as my best trade craft number three, but just the fact that he's like talking to the doctor loud as shit. Yeah, this is Rock Slag, world famous spy doctor. You know, I don't know who you are, doctor, but let me give you all this information about our top agent. He he's a really good spy. In fact, the world is trying to catch him. In fact, you could probably make a lot of money if you find him for the bad guys. You know. It, it, you might as well wrap wrap him up in a bow, yeah. So that 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 kind of bugged me. <laughs> okay, um, but you know the movie's driven by this sort of uh, mistaken identity kind of thing. It's a little uh, like a man who knew too little. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, you know, I was thinking to myself. I was thinking, you know, this kind of mistaken identity thing, I feel like was used a lot in cartoons and maybe especially the Flintstones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's This is definitely not the first time they've done it. No. And, I've seen that gag a hundred times. Right. Yeah. And cartoons is such a great place to use it because yeah. you're just kind of reusing animation that you've already got. Right. Um, which is probably, you know, clever, but... Uh, you know, uh, just a little reading on the trope, uh, you know, mistaken identity actually has like a huge long tradition, uh, in literature. Um, one, one thing I was reminded of on, on doing a little wiki-ing was that, uh, Shakespeare used it a shit ton in, in like almost half of his plays have some kind of, uh, person posing as or being mistake, you know, and that right. being a major plot driver of oh, one wow. person being uh, thought of as another. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I saw too, and I'm not aware of any, but that uh, people reference that like, you can, you can even find Greek dramas uh, from way back in the day. Oh, um, I could believe that. Yeah. Yeah. They used it. Um, in this film, at least for the Paris sequence, uh, it's it's really just an excuse to watch Ali and Bobo fail to kill Fred in a lot of comedic ways. Yeah. The comedy coming from the fact that Fred's completely unaware that he's a target. But, mm-hmm. you know, the man who knew too little, which I was not a big fan of, um, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely did this a lot better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now you did mention that, uh, and I think I could quibble with you that, uh, on, on the initial recruitment of Fred, uh, actually, I don't think Boulder said any, I mean, he did say it's a government thing, but I don't think he laid it on thick of like, uh, what's at stake. Okay. And in fact, like at the beginning, like he just told him he's, uh, he lets Fred believe that he's just going to pick up a bird. Oh, that's you know, right. Yeah. The green goose is just a bird. So Fred's yeah. like, yeah, you're going to send my family to Paris, all expenses paid to pick up a bird. I'd be an idiot to turn this down. Yeah. <laughs> Only an idiot would turn <laughs> Yeah. No, that was a bad idea to, to let him believe that. I mean, I guess it helped him in the recruitment process, but it probably would have been a better idea to tell him the green goose was a person, you know? 
possibly, but later in the film, when Fred finds that out mm-hmm. and and finds out like that, you know what's he what he's doing involves actual danger. Like he completely wants out, mm-hmm. and you know, hero rejection of the call, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of stuff. But uh, that's where that's where the film gets my my best number one tradecraft uh, is. Because at this point, the the chief does say this is, uh, like you're, you know, Fred's like, hey, I gotta think, I I can't be doing this. I gotta think about my family. And the chief is like, this is about your family. This is about mm-hmm. all of our families. Pebbles won't have a future if you don't do this. Um, yeah, no, that was that was really good. Because uh, uh, even even after hearing that, Fred still denies it. But um, at the playground, when he's looking at Pebbles, Pebbles and Bam Bam playing, it, it, it kind of he's like, "Oh wow, that's right. My children's future is at stake." I thought that was the best song in the movie. Um, and oh, yeah. and when I say best, we're talking about a very low ceiling here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't expect songs in this movie. I definitely didn't want songs in this movie. I right. definitely didn't like most of the songs in the movie. This one actually kind of sort of worked for me and the animation in it. Uh, you know, it just reminds me like even today, like, and I don't know, I don't know if Disney had really, I guess Disney had done this stuff. I wonder who really pioneered it to like not only put songs into movies, but to make that part of the animated movie like far more abstract type of animation instead of trying to represent reality, but to to represent mood mm-hmm. and and feeling. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, but I mean, especially in this song, I feel like when you're looking at the animation on the screen, you I get the feeling that like if I was an animator working on this movie, this is what I signed up for. <laughs> this is what I wanted. This is the animation I want to do. This is yeah. my craft. This is my artwork. This is my expression to the world of the beauty of animation. And if to get an opportunity to do that, I got to do a shit ton of keyframing of just stupid Fred Flintstone, Barney Rubble, talking to each other <laughs> yeah. driving around in cars and goofy dinosaurs like I'll do that but but when I get to this part like this is the part I really want to do hell yeah absolutely you know the story with uh, what's opera doc no 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 you know the cart- yeah okay what's opera doc that's the kill the wabbit kill the wabbit yeah oh yeah 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 oh yeah yeah that's right and and then uh, that's when Bugs is dressed as the Viking woman from that. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. Right. Do you know the story behind that? That episode or that opera? That, that episode. That episode. You know. of the, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, they they snuck it through. Uh, the animators they never ever ever would have gotten uh, permission. Approval? Yeah. Oh wow! That was that was a completely unapproved project, and all the animators conspired with each other to like i don't know you have like i don't I, I don't know numbers but let's say like you're given a budget of like uh uh 200 hours to work on this episode and then 200 hours to work on this episode like all the animators at warner like conspired together to like 
finish their other episodes like at you know just 190 uh-huh. and then secretly like just bill the other 10 of work that they had on working on what's opera doc oh that's awesome i know <laughs> Um, yeah, but that's what I think about when I see like this kind of, um, you know, animators off the leash, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's and, and the way what you get now in Disney movies is just so fan fucking tastic. Right. You know, during, during the musical numbers. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, yeah. Another animated stuff kind of thing. Um, I did like uh bed bugs. That was so funny. I'll give that um, plus comedy points. Yeah. Uh, the the bug in the room was actually a bug recorded. Like, if, you, if you've ever watched Simpsons and you see, like, a recorder or, like, the camera in, in – or not the Simpsons, the Flintstones, those old cameras, there was, like, a old prehistoric woodpecker, like, chiseling the picture. Or if it was a recording – uh, there'd be like a, a vinyl record and it's just like a bird. Well, instead of a bird doing it, they had an actual bug listening in on the conversation and it was in the bed post and chief, the joke chief goes, they've bed bugs me. And uh, I thought, I thought that was clever that I think we both got a chuckle out of that one. <laughs> yeah. I've never, I, I've never been really a fan of like the dinosaur tech that they use in the Flintstones. Um and there's always like the kind of like uh, oppressed working man, like side side eye to the audience, like ah, I hope the union never finds out about this or whatever. <laughs> <that kind laughs> yeah, really, just don't land for me. But Bedbug was cool, and I actually really kind of liked the plane. Yeah, with the pterodactyls. Yeah, <laughs> they have a passenger. Yeah, they have a passenger plane that. Uh, Basically, it's like instead of propellers, there's just pterodactyls lined up on the wings, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, I got to mention. Okay, so, uh, you know, they uh, in the comics. Sorry, I've got to come back to the comics. Uh, they they want to launch a chimpanzee into space. And you know how they do it? <laughs> they they haul they put like uh, it's one of those things like a like a seesaw kind of set up oh. <laughs> and then and then they haul a brontosaurus up like 18 stories and just drop it onto the one end <laughs> to launch the little wooden rocket with the chip <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> it's fucking hilarious is what it is yeah, that's pretty funny all right so we're all set we know what the green goose is trying to do uh and and this little uh, wrinkle is what lets us make it a Flintstones movie that Fred's got to do the job. And what's the job again? He has to pretend to be Slag to meet with Tanya. He, uh, they find out Slag is actually going to get better, so all he has to do is stall Tanya so he can switch out with Slag. Slag then gets hurt, um, so now Fred has to go through the whole job. And the idea is the chief is going to follow Fred as Tanya takes him to the Green Goose, and they're going to capture the Green Goose. So all Fred's job is to pretend to be rock sled. Right. Cartoon antics ensue and the chief isn't able to follow him. And so Fred is left. Uh, well, I want to, I want to make sure I, I throw in my minus five points on the way that Fred is initially supposed to make contact with Tanya. Oh yeah. 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 There's, there's um, some pretty bad stuff. 
I think I think at first in in Paris he's just like supposed to wander around this restaurant just saying this code phrase to random women and mm-hmm. see if they come back with the right phrase. Uh, we like a code phrase, and I especially like movies where they don't like make a big point of it. You know, uh-huh. like it just looks like a natural reaction. Someone says like, "Ah, oh, I love the winter in Berlin." Oh yes. But it is so cold there, you know, and then like <laughs> and then after this seemingly very innocuous, natural reaction, all of a sudden they start talking about spy stuff. They're like, OK, you said the right thing, uh, yeah. et cetera. But just wandering around talking to saying the code phrase to random woman, women mm-hmm. is uh, not the way you do it. What was the code phrase? It was like five fire, fiery firefighters. Something like some, that, yeah. Some kind yeah, of it was like an alliteration. Yeah, that is not uh, easy to remember. And it's obviously a code word. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. Definite, definite minus five points for that. I will say there's a faint possible. Uh, no, I'm really reaching here. If I if I try to give him plus, because at first the meeting's supposed to be in Paris, and then all of a sudden, sudden it's supposed to be in Rome. Mm-hmm. In a better film, I could have called that faint plus by points if, like, you know, a sudden change of venue is going to throw off the, the watchers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, it just seemed to be an excuse to uh, show the Flintstones version of Paris and of Rome. And, you know, just like some kind of studio note of, like, you know, he needs to be a globetrotter. You know, there need to be multiple exotic locations or something. That's what James right. Bond does. So that's what Flintstones got to do. Mm-hmm. But when they do get the meeting set up, finally, uh, the chief puts a microphone. Of course, it's a Stone Age cartoon microphone that's uh, like a little bird in a clamshell mm-hmm. kind of situation. And uh, he puts the microphone on Fred before he meets with Tanya. And I, and he says, cause they want to hear everything he says. And this is why I'm going to give it plus five points in this movie and make it my number two best. Fred is not trained to get information out of Tanya. So if you can accept this idea that you've sent an untrained double into uh, a situation where you're trying to gather information. Yeah. Wire him up so that you can just hear everything that she says, even if he fucks up, maybe she'll slip up. You know, you, right. you, you just want to have that direct uh, information. Um, and from their perspective, it seems that all Fred needs to do is ask her to reveal the goose's identity, mm-hmm. uh, which she does not. Right. <laughs> uh, instead, she, I don't know. Tells, tells Fred, you know, when he brings up the goose, she says, oh, yeah, he's a very bad man. Do you know he has a secret super weapon? <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, okay, so in this kind of case, like you do, if you're being the double agent kind of person, you do want to give some information that does seem authentic, but this is not the right piece of information to give. Mm-hmm. I'll call it my number three worst tradecraft. Yeah, there's a lot. Like, why did the chief even tell Fred 
information when he got the oh, – I guess we're not there yet. But when he gets the message, it has nothing to do with Fred and was bad idea. And now we have Tanya telling Fred all this information she doesn't need to tell him. There's, there's quite a bit of loose lips situations in, in this story that I don't think were addressed at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, once, once I guess, this piece of information gets out, the chief gets a secret message about the super weapon. And apparently the organization has been working on an anti-missile tech. But the message that he gets is that the missile, te- the anti-missile doesn't work yet, and which he announces to the world. And I already said earlier, this is my number two worst tradecraft. Um, but it seems to me like this is something that Triple X should have been following the chief about or at least hanging out with him for this. It just seems to me this this whole story was unnecessary, and this is part of the reasons why. Yeah, the goons like shortly after uh, sending Fred off to say it's okay, go with Tanya. We'll back you up, you know, and we'll grab the goose. Right. And it's right after that that the goons, Ollie and Baba Bobo, uh, managed to score their real only substantial unadulterated success they they knock the chief out and they get the message uh off of him uh which you know is what the green ghost goose needed all along is that the anti-missile missile is not ready mm-hmm. so uh, tanya um is is faking a plan to help fred capture the goose but it's actually just a ruse and when that gets revealed uh, she does some very typical over-explaining for the morons in the back row in case you couldn't keep up with this incredibly simple story of uh, why this this setup uh, was there. And then uh, the goons show up. They tell the goose about the secret message. And now we got yeah. this classic situation where uh, it seems like all the cards are in the villain's hand, which is important for this kind of version of a spy story. Right. And uh, we also have that kind of cool thing, which has been done better uh, for sure, (laughs) where our hero thinks he's got backup, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. like, he doesn't know that his, his, his boss has been killed or something. Yeah, He's watching Barney get tortured and he's like pretending not to care. Cause he's like, don't worry, Barney, the chief's going to come any minute. And like, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's set up like that. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, once once the goose has got the information, he says, okay, we don't need these guys anymore. Uh, shoves them into a prison cell. Um, has Ollie and Bobo feed, try to feed them some poison food. Um, I mean, it being a family cartoon. Uh, I mean, obviously you can't just shoot them in the head, but mm-hmm. that's what... You should do yeah. <laughs> this kind of situation, <laughs> I suppose. Um, Fred and Barney managed to escape. And in my struggle to find good tradecraft, uh, I'll, I'll give my best number three to uh, the little bird. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, you know, Fred and Barney in a cell. It's a classic situation. We're in the cell. The guards are outside. They're sleeping. We can see the key. God damn, if there was only some way we could get this key. Well, (laughs) 
out pops a little bird. Fred talks a little bird into going for the key. Bird, of course, uh, the keys are too heavy for him, drops him on the horn of the little sleeping uh, triceratops. What's he going to do now? Well, he goes in and he pretends to be a wounded little bird. And that's it. I mean, it's, you know, pretty simple. Lure the baby ceratops, triceratops with the key around his horn over to where Fred can grab it. Um, there's not much, there's not much tradecraft in this movie. I'm, I'm calling this my best number three. Yeah. There's, there really isn't a whole lot. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're going to wreck this thing on ratings. Yeah. Um, and there's not much else. I mean, Fred and Barney, you know, there, I mean, there's some cartoony shenanigans that happen, but that don't really have to do anything with spycraft. Triple X, uh, during their escape, appears to Fred, uh, like uh, the Green Goose. Remember, Green Goose is Triple X, in case you haven't been paying attention. Uh, shows up as Triple X, you know, and, and they run into each other. The mask falls out, and Fred says, oh, is this yours? And he's like, ah, yes, I am the Green Goose. Um, this is just a reminder. we got to go back to why this is the worst Number one, like the the absolute failure of him to use his triple X identity in any meaningful fashion. At this point, there's, I mean, at this point, it kind of could have been cool um, to at like, and kind of at this point in the story arc, this is where like triple X should show up and and have some way some clever way of fooling fred into getting some kind of information that the villains need for their plan and then to find out it's the green goose that's good story writing this is crap uh the green goose already knows the information he needs he has no reason to interact with fred in any capacity um like just launching the missile should be his only priority. It's safe to do so. So do it. And then pursuant to that, he's got a stupid, dumb timing mechanism on the rocket. Like it's set up with a, like a, I don't know, there's some kind of blade and some kind of rotating thing that'll cut a rope. Um, I mean, I guess I understand sort of the, the need to not be in the rocket when it launches, but I don't even know why there is an interior to the rocket. Yeah. <laughs> and there's all sorts of ways you could set up this kind of like timing mechanism. So you could get to safety, but this is like, this is super like, uh, unnecessary James Bond villain stuff. Like that. There's a, there's a timer now there's, which is like a totally false way of creating tension. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just ludicrous. Just, I mean, just launch the fucking rocket already, right? And then uh, <laughs> take take me home with the unless throw in anything else you want to say before uh, debriefing, but uh, take us home with the stupidest thing. Yeah, that I think I've ever seen in any movie. So this this is what really I think bothered me about the movie because it, it was already kind of cheesebally and not really getting anywhere. But, you're, you know, you're hoping for the end where, like, Fred 
the hapless every man that gets swallowed into the spy world is going to like be the hero at the end of the story. Right. So you, what do you think? You like, he's going to disarm the rocket. He's going to knock out the green goose. He's, you know, the typical like um, story like this where the hero, but what does he do? He bought like this fake necklace on the streets of Italy and pretends it's really valuable to Barney and the green goose overhears this conversation that this necklace is worth a million dollars. And he says to the green goose, like the green goose offers, I will spare your lives if you give me that necklace. So like the green goose has this giant plan of like world domination and, you know, doomsday situation where he's launching this rocket. And somehow at the very last minute, he's like tempted by, uh, you know, greed where he's going to take this necklace is worth a million dollars. So they open the door and he runs in like an idiot and, and they just beat him up and then shove him in and shove all of the, so Ali and Bobo and Tanya into the rocket and the rocket goes off because they can't stop the rocket apparently, which that didn't make sense either. You would think someone of, he would be able to pull the lever and stop the rocket. You know, uh, that's what I would, that would have even been better. Even with this like silly, like trick that Fred plays, if the green, green goose turns off the rocket and they let him out and arrest him when the chief comes to, it's, you know, no, but what happens is the rocket goes off and they all fly into space. Uh, that that's, that's pretty much how the movie ends. And, and Fred gets a big award and Wilma's happy. I've been, yeah, I've been scratching my head a little about this. Um, I mean, I didn't hate this movie in its entirety. I mean, I definitely didn't like it. Um, I think this ending with the diamond necklace, the fake diamond necklace, uh, I really struggle to think of anything stupider I've ever seen in a movie or television show. Just really ever. Mm -hmm. This is bad. Can you yeah. can you think of anything? Well, it's definitely not as bad as the last joke of the man who knew too much. Fifty six. That was horrible. Oh. <laughs> Touche, sir. <laughs> yeah, but no, I can't think of anything that had this bad of an ending. Like you know, like what I wanted. I really wanted the message that Chief read out to be disinformation, and then mm -hmm. it just turns out that. Like, even if Fred wasn't the hero that saved the day, it turned out that the chief was spreading disinformation and it got to the ears of the Green Goose and he fires the rocket. And then, oh, it turns out our anti-missile was ready. Yay, and we won. Good job, Flintstone. You were able to play your part and we got the job done and saved the world. You know, like, that would have been a much better ending. Um, but, no, it it was just like, here's this silly trick we're going to play on the Green Goose, and they're just going to go fly off into space. And I was you like, know, oh. Right. Yeah, some other really simple stuff that could have just elevated this piece of trash out of the mud a little bit <laughs> is, uh, you know, we've, we've gone all over the fact Triple X could have been, like, a way more interestingly leveraged. Even in just one scene, just give us one little twist with that. Uh, there could have been a scene where, like, I don't know, where we find out Tanya has a daughter, mm -hmm. right? And then maybe yeah. Fred could, like, uh, have to, ex you know, kind of explain to her or point out to her that her daughter's safety is threatened as well by the Green Goose's plan 
and mm-hmm. get some kind of leverage out of that, which also would have been a really nice like way to make it a, you know, if the Russians have to ch- love their children too, kind yeah. of thing, you know, right? yeah. put a, put a slap, you know, slap a message on this shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, just little things, but no, they're just going along. They're just doing gags and, and just kind of fake, faking, faking the funk. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. David, I'm looking at previous uh, ratings here, and uh, I, I I think we can agree we're in like worst worst movie ever that we've covered so far. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at Spies Like Us, and I'm probably gonna go with a one. Yeah, so <laughs> you're. We we flipped on these spies like us and spy kids. We both agree are terrible movies, right? Uh, and also, we it looks like we also didn't have any great love for the conversation. No. Um, <laughs> again, this is just our personal feelings. This is how much we like the movie. Um, but uh, we're gonna leave the conversation out of this one because I think yeah. spies like us and spy kids are 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 much better analogs for what we're looking here at here. We flipped on those. You liked spy kids a teensy bit better than I did. Yeah. And I liked spy (laughs) spies like us a teensy bit better than you did. Um, it's, so for me, my lowest rating ever has been given to Spy Kids as a at a one. I've been really thinking, like, did I did I hate this movie more than I hated Spy Kids? Mm-hmm. Um, like, dude, it's hard. Like, okay, because I had to watch it tw- uh, three times, and the th- I watched it the one time, and then I watch it. As, I always watch a movie a second time and take my notes, and then just last night. We watched it again. I watched it with you. That was your first time. Yeah. I, I, I um, envy you for the fact that you've only had to sit through this once. But do I do I hate it more than Spike? I, definitely watching it three times was torture. It, yeah. No, it's a one. It's matching Spy Kids. If you, yeah. I, I can't tell you which, whichever. If you said Todd, you need to watch Spy Kids or you need to watch The Man Called Flintstone. I would just pick whichever one I hadn't seen most recently. And that would be my only, my only uh, avenue away from the torture. Uh, This is, this is a one. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going with the one as well. Um, One of the reasons why I did not like spies like us is it didn't really go anywhere. And it just seemed like nonstop gags. And I think, because I remember when we did spies like us, you had said John Belushi was supposed to be in that. And, That's right. Um, yeah, and uh, it feels like they rushed the script because they lost John Belushi. Um, so I feel like this is kind of a similar, um, uh, what's it called, diagnosis for me. Like they probably had to rush to get a spy film out. Considering you said it was sixty two, and this was sixty, Doctor No was sixty two, and this was sixty six, right? So it seemed like they're like. Oh, they're making parody films of spies already. Holy shit, let's get a movie out. And then they were just like, just get on it. I don't care what you got, just throw something out there. 
and this is the result. So I'm I'm going with a one on this. Yeah. Quick note: I think that uh, I think Chevy Chase was probably a positive addition to Spies Like Us. Oh yeah, because I think it was Ackroyd that really flagged in that one, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure Belushi could have saved it. I think. I think. I think uh, uh, Chevy Chase actually is what got my little bump on a point five on that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're going with a. Uh, we're going with double ones here, mm-hmm. which uh, will officially make it uh, our least favorite spy movie of all time so far. And before we go to park bench rating, let's just uh, run. Recap quickly. our best and worst. Mm-hmm. What do we got here? Uh, Todd's best tradecraft. Number three, the bird using a ruse to get the keys. Uh, my number two best is wiring an untrained Fred, if you're going to accept the fact that you're going to throw in an untrained person in there for the situation, you definitely want to wire him instead of trusting him to uh, handle the situation. My number one best is when Fred gets cold feet. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a generally accepted use of pressure, recruitment mm-hmm. pressure, appeal to... Uh, your family's safety. Absolutely. Um, my number three best tradecraft was recruiting Fred using duty and an all-expense-paid trip to even start the mission. Uh, my number two best tradecraft was the Green Goose using Tanya to lure Fred. Um, and my number one best tradecraft was the Green Goose's infiltration um, as Triple X uh, with... Um, are, are, we don't even know what government they're in, but whatever. Our, our team, good guy. The, go- the uh, government. The <laughs> government. Yeah, we'll just say the government. Um, and what about your worst tradecraft? Well, Tanya uh, had no reason to tell uh, Fred about the, the super secret weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, there are reasons to give... You know, if you're a double agent, there's reasons to give some information that make you seem trustable. This is just like handing over the the whole bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Um, number two worst is, you know, the goons are working for the Green Goose and Tanya's working for the Green Goose. But the goons and Tanya are not uh, trying to achieve the same goal. Right. Um, so, you know, you need to plan that shit out. Uh, better and the number one worst for me is just the absolute failure to use you got this idea there is like there is a mole you actually you you were actually smart enough to think of the idea of putting a mole in (laughs) the the allied organization which which in and of itself like kind of surprised me that it was actually even got to that level of cleverness and then it goes nowhere and doesn't get used in any way whatsoever. Number one worst. Uh, my number three worst tradecraft was talking loud to the, the chief, just talking loud to the doctor about rock slag and how important he was in public. Uh, my number two worst tradecraft was the chief reading anti-missile message out loud. And why did he even tell Fred to begin with? Uh, and definitely by far my number one worst tradecraft matching years is the green Gers. Goose, though he infiltrated the government, did nothing with it. 
it was a perfect opportunity to get information and did absolutely zero with it. Um, so that's, that's, that's my number one worst trade craft. Uh, park benches. What do we think? Well, we had to really struggle to find any positive spy points yeah. in this film. I think this is a slam dunk. It's another point five. I completely agree. <laughs> zero, zero argument on that. So yeah. The point only five, reason benches. we would ever, I think we've established this. The only reason we could ever go down to a zero, which I'm, I'm tempted in this case yeah. is if we accidentally watched a movie that wasn't a spy movie at all, or it didn't even <laughs> pretend to be a spy movie. Yeah. Like driving, driving Miss Daisy would get a zero park bench rating. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Fucking Jurassic Park would would even rate a point five because at least there's a traitor in that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Newman. <laughs> Hey, you remember. All right, cool. I do, yeah. Um, all right, well, what's up next? Do we have uh, Well, next, first, is is our, our promise that uh, we won't inflict something this bad on you for at least another year, but also <laughs> our promise that if we ever find something worse than this, we might have to cover it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just to be true to our brand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it'll be a while. We're gonna get serious again. Uh, we're definitely uh, gonna move back. We're gonna try to move back onto our regular schedule of uh, TV, 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 movie, TV, mm-hmm. TV, TV, movie. What's mm-hmm. up for TV is Le Bureau. Yeah, I'm very excited for Le Bureau. Hmm. So uh, I think you're listening to this. Uh, if you're still listening. Uh, the day before Christmas Eve uh, in in the U.S. and uh, we're gonna work. Dave and I are gonna uh, work to see if we can just immediately start pumping out some uh, Liburo episodes immediately after that. So you would get, uh, I guess, uh, maybe a rebroadcast of our brush past of episode one of season one of Liburo on uh, uh, New Year's Eve. Or not New Year's Eve, but the day before New Year's Eve. And then uh, uh, we'll continue from there. I don't think we've picked our next movie yet. Um, I, I think I've picked the last couple, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. Is there anything you've got a burning desire for right now? Not really. We'd have to, I'd have to go through the list. But since we're doing La Bureau, we might want to do something French. Are there any French spy films that we haven't done yet? Hey, I think that's a great idea. We'll look at the list. We'll check it out. Um, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I guess next week. Or, or we're not sure yet. That's right. <laughs> Join us next time for Live Bureau. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated.
This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler. <laughs>